G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. But we said to our boys, just because mum and dad don't drink, doesn't mean that you don't have to drink. You have to decide for yourself. Because the more they own their decisions, the more likely they're going to follow it through. Today's teenagers are under enormous pressure to conform to the patterns of this world. My wife Kate and myself, Brett Ryan, spoke to Northreach Community Church on the topic of raising older children to provide an overview and some easy-to-understand principles, including encouraging faith formation, repairing relationships, and discussing drugs and alcohol. Today's broadcast is part two of this talk for Focus on the Family Australia. From a really young age is when you want to start talking about God just making God a part of your life, everyday life. You know, it can be from the real basic stuff to isn't God amazing because he made the human body and, you know, it's so clever. Or birds or trees or whatever it is, looking at the mountains, we're talking about God. Then we're talking about God and they might be talking about their friends. Oh, isn't it sad, you know, when they speak to each other like that? You know, what does God say about that? You know, let's check that out because that's really sad that they're, you know, speaking to each other like that and how damaging that can be. And then, you, you know, you talk about that and, and so on and so forth. And, we, you know, how do we get our kids to pray or read their Bible if they're not comfortable with it? Well, we didn't kind of sit down at our kitchen table and have devotions together. That's not what we did. We actually just talked about God in everyday life. We had prayers and their own Bible reading in bed at night. Um, we would go in individually with each of them. Now, not every one of them wanted to pray out loud. So Brett was a kid's pastor and he made very clear that prayer is personal, prayer is powerful. Okay, so we didn't force our kids to pray out loud. My one child who did not pray out loud, he wouldn't say grace. It was embarrassing to him. He just lacked confidence. It wasn't that he didn't like God or didn't love God. It was just this horrifying thing of putting himself out there and not speaking the right words. You know, even though we'd said, you don't have to do anything fancy. It can just be, Jesus, I've had a shocking day. You know, where are you? I need you. You know, it's something like that. It doesn't have to be anything fancy, just how you feel. It's a conversation with God. Just like I could talk to Brett and say, I've had a shocking day. And um, he told me the other day, he's just got a new girlfriend, a first girlfriend at 21. And he said, mum, get this. She wants me to be the head, lead her. And he said, I'm standing there praying over my girlfriend (laughs) out loud. And I go, oh my goodness. So it's role modelling and at the right time, these things. It doesn't go unnoticed. When you role model, praying out loud, just having a conversation with God, it's okay. Me praying with Brett, me praying with the boys, me praying with friends who come over and that it's just a conversation with God over and over and over again. And it's just a natural, normal, comfortable thing. And there's no shame in making a mistake if you pray out loud. 
And, and I know with kids, I've watched them where they sit there and they go, but what am I going to say? Like they have to say something special. And I said, he's just your friend, hun. <laughs> he doesn't need or want a big puffed up statement. It's just where you're at. Because he wants you to be real. He wants your heart. He doesn't want some fluffy thing. So we really need to model that. Our eldest son came out and said that one of the best examples, he said, you know, you guys taught me all this stuff, but he said it was the fact that I'd walk into the bedroom and you weren't making a big statement about it. You were just sitting in bed reading your Bible. And he said, I want that. I'm going to have that. I'm going to be the father who my kids walk into my bedroom and they're going to see me loving up on God and wanting to know him better and live my life out of that. And so us modelling that and wanting to get to know God better and him being our friend and we don't have to make a splash about it. It can just be a personal relationship that our children are watching. You're going to have children that may question everything. Our 16-year-old son, who'd been brought up in a Christian home, had been brought up in a Christian school, um, I was in the ministry, and then he came to me one day and he goes, Dad, look, I don't get it. I don't believe the Bible. I don't think I believe in God. My first response could be the make or break of the that conversation. I should say, how mm. dare you? You can't believe it. You know, like, but I said, that's awesome, mate. It's great that you're thinking about this. Why don't you prove to me that God doesn't exist? And so I just introduced him to a couple of books. There's a Lee Strobel, it was a, The Case for Christ. And for him, that was his catalyst. And now he has just put us to shame. He just reads. Now he's got God for himself. But if the way that we respond can be the, the best thing for it. It's not to, to say, I can't believe you're doing this. You can be right and wrong at the same time. And many people could actually, especially prodigals that have left, and it may not be in your world right now, but later on, you have to trust that you've done the best that you possibly can and allow God to do the rest. There are no guarantees. You can do everything right and a kid turns out a certain way and you can do everything wrong and a kid can be, end up being perfect. The key is not to be religious. I think that's where we get caught up. You know, we've got to be in church. You've got to, you know, I've it's, talked... It's like the tick the box. Yeah. Bible, tick. Prayer, tick. You know, going to church, tick. Tithe. You know, I've got a girlfriend who goes, oh, it's very important that my son tithes. I've told him that he's got to tithe. He doesn't go to church, but he has to tithe. And I'm like, I said, you know, he needs to know him personally. He needs to find him for himself what does the tithing even mean? He probably doesn't even know what tithing means. And so I said, maybe just pull back a fraction because all you're doing is pushing him away from God and you're making it a legalistic, religious act rather than an act of service and of love. And I said, you've got to get back to basics of who God is and he's their heavenly father. As a teacher, I was sitting with year 12s Okay, if you've got 17 or 18 year olds and I was teaching at a Christian school, I was sitting with a group and I said, oh, what are you looking forward to? You know, when you leave school, what are you looking forward to? Getting away from the rules. And I said, can I pose a different question? Pose a different way to look at it? And they said, sure. And I said, what about picturing it? That the Word of God is a love letter from your heavenly Father. And he's putting those there, the rules that you're talking about, 
They are to protect you so that you can thrive. If you work in those boundaries that your heavenly Father is setting for you, you're not going to have regret. I said, every time you say to yourself, I just want to do this, I'm telling you that every time you make that decision, there's going to be consequences and regret. And I said, I'm speaking from someone who did it. And I said, so be very careful when you look at God's word and say to yourself, it's just a bunch of rules. Turn it around and go, this is a God who loves me and wants me to be the best version of who I can be. And if I look at it like that and go, he says that about me. You know, when I'm feeling crappy, he says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knew every hair on your head. It blows my mind. When you go back and you're feeling crappy and you read what God has to say about you, oh my goodness, you can't feel crappy anymore because he's just loved up on you. And I said, you need to look at it differently. So when we talk to our kids about God, don't make it a religious thing. Make it a personal relationship thing so that he, he loves them. And another way of saying is that the Bible and by association God is seen as a book of thou shalt nots. And I'd actually say it's completely opposite. God's actually saying, I want you to thrive. But if you step outside the consequence of these boundaries that I've set, there will be consequences. Stay inside, life can be good. But that doesn't mean that they won't drift away. And I can just give you a little word of advice. If you've got some protocols, don't bombard them and send them with texts and Bible verses and, yeah. and tell them I'm praying for you and every week they see you, you should be in church. You'd, they get it. They know. They know that it's probably breaking your heart. By saying it, it just reinforces it. You've got to just love on them, even if they make decisions that are maybe contrary because you're right but you're wrong at the same time. You can win the battle of an argument, but lose the war of relationship. Get the grandparents praying. If you've got parents that are alive or anybody else around, get them praying. They are the best. My sisters have both got kids that have walked away from the Lord. All of them. But the grandparents can talk about God. My mum has got days for each of her grandchildren who've walked away from the Lord. And she can text them and go, it's your day today. I'm going to be praying. What can I pray about? They send her stuff. (laughs) But if the mother brings it up, oh my goodness, who do you think you are? Okay, so get the grandparents involved because they are prayer warriors. It is quite extraordinary. So anybody else who's older in your life, even if your parents aren't alive or if your parents aren't Christians, there are people around who would love to pray for your kids. It takes a village to raise your kids. Get them on board. Doing it yourself, sometimes you just feel like you're out there. You know, (laughs) you're out there on your own, but you're not. Get people involved, get them praying, because you need to know there's a whole clan behind you, caring and loving for your kids. I'll leave you this. Do not abdicate your responsibility of bringing up the spiritual foundation of your children. Don't pass it on to a Christian school, pass it on to kids' church, pass it on to youth church. They are partners of this journey because often, I have to say, probably the toughest ministry in the church, it's not kids' ministry, it's not even youth ministry, it's young adults' ministry. As soon as they can start driving their car, they can either drive away or drive to. And guess who gets the rap? The person who oversees young adults' ministry. It's a continual journey. 
The more you can partner, the more you can, I'm giving them both a shout out. They are part of a bigger puzzle and to support them and encourage them. But you have first voice privilege. You have more hours in a day. It's been sort of equated. If you go to church on a regular basis, youth ministry and kids ministry may get 40 to 50 hours of input in your child's life. You have up to 2,000 hours of direct input in your child's life. Who's going to have the greatest influence? You're looking at it when you see yourself in the mirror. You have the first voice privilege. Use it to your benefit for your kids are watching. You're listening to Brett and Kate Ryan for Focus on the Family Australia. The word for today is Australia's most widely read daily devotional, designed to give you practical teaching to keep you focused on your relationship with Jesus. Read it online or subscribe to the free printed edition at thewordfortoday.com.au. Welcome back to Focus on the Family Australia. My wife Kate and myself, Brett Ryan, spoke to Northreach Community Church on the topic of raising older children to provide an overview and some easy-to-understand principles, including encouraging faith formation, repairing relationships, and discussing drugs and alcohol. If you haven't had the type of relationship that you would like or not the ideal, this is when you have to be as vulnerable and open and honest as you can be. And it could go like this. I'm really sorry that we haven't had the type of relationship that I would like to have with you. Would you please forgive me? Could we start afresh? Could you help me understand what I could do as a mother or as a father that will help improve the way that we communicate, the way that we do life together? And then let it settle. Just let it sit there for a while. It may be the most open and honest that you could possibly be, But I tell you what, the number of people who have come up to me who have used that as a starting point, it was just the clouds opened up and the light came through and, and, you know, the angels started singing. I I mean, maybe that might be a bit of a push. But it was the first time they allowed themselves to admit that they may have not been as good as they could have been. And to start that, and they may be a bit reluctant. They may be saying, are you really? Are you serious? What are you, smoking? Or, you know, I I don't know. It may be they may not have any answer. But you say, look, can you just think about it? And we'll we'll have this conversation again. It doesn't shut the conversation up completely. It just says, I want to revisit this. Because I'm really determined to improve the health and well-being of relationship. Because life is too short to have conflict and tension constantly. Have to start afresh. So we need to have dialogue with our children, not monologues. Chatting when they get in late at night. Not always convenient. Not always convenient. We are so tired. We will, like, if they come in at 11.30, they always kiss me goodnight. Okay, that's a sign of respect that they've come home and they let me know. Uh, before they turned 21, they had a curfew of midnight, of course, <laughs> because nothing good happens. And even after... <laughs> and then when they turned 21, they were allowed to be out later than midnight, but had to let us know and really... To be quite honest, you know what they've done? They've all got home at midnight. They only ever stay out later if it's a special occasion of some kind that requires them to be out. But even if they're with friends, they'll say, oh, I've got to be home. (laughs) Blame on us. Blame it on us. Um, And so many people have said, we're so glad we've got that excuse that we have to be home. 
You know, we think our kids hate our rules. Sometimes they are so grateful. If, you know, when they're talking to their peers and they go, they don't want to do something, but they feel like they're being pulled in. We used to say, just say, oh, my mum and dad said, I can't do that. And they're picking me up at 4.30. I can't just because I'm sorry, I can't do it. It said, always put it back on us until you're ready to say, I've made this decision. Okay, we want to move from that parent thing to them, but they've got to do it. We've got to give them an out. Always use us. Use us as the bad guy. And then you train them so it becomes innate for them to make that decision themselves. With that, it's very important for our children to have the narrative for alcohol. We have to teach them. We assume our children know how to do these things, but the more they spend time on the screen, the less emotional quotient they have or emotional intelligence because they're not relating to people. And so what used to be the natural art of people knowing how to communicate and get across how they feel or that they're angry or whatever it is, they don't know how to do that well. And so we need to teach them how to do it well. If you watch kids at school and they're fighting, you know, because they've got no idea how to just say, you know, I'm really not happy that you're doing that. They just get, you know, they start fights and they, you know, because they're unhappy with what's going on. We need to teach them how to do it effectively. They don't just know how to do it. Don't just assume. Ask them a question. You know, if somebody did such and such, what would you say? Or if somebody said this to you, what would you say? Pose questions. We did that about drugs. We did it about alcohol. If somebody came up to you and said, mate, here's a drink of beer. Do you know the first thing, if they don't know what to say, the kid goes, oh, I'm going to look like an idiot if I, you know, don't take it. So I will. Do you know the number of times that's happened and that's when kids start drinking? We have to give them a narrative as to why they're not going to have that drink and why before the age of 18, that we're trying to make it to 21, why they shouldn't, you know, physiologically, etc., for their brain development. And so we need to teach them all of those things. Another part of your role as parents is your, their prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex is the part of the brain where it goes through rational thinking and processing of consequences of actions. And I just give you the heads up, it takes about 28 years for a male brain to fully function and about 24 years for a female brain. So the next time you say, what were you thinking? They can actually say, it's actually my prefrontal cortex, mum and dad. It's, bear with me. That's science, all right? So, but this narrative is really, really important because we want to actually raise up a group of young people that can be countercultural. Mum and I, Kate and I, we've chosen not to drink. That's our choice. But we said to our boys, just because mum and dad don't drink doesn't mean that you don't have to drink. You have to decide for yourself because the more they own their decisions, the more likely they're going to follow it through. But remember when I said popular culture, peer pressure becomes more prevalent than what mum and dad say for a period of time? When I was in charge at Monash Medical Centre in the emergency department for a number of years, and a young lady came to us, 13 years of age, went to a party, and uh, she had one too many drinks. It wouldn't have taken very much for her to become so intoxicated that she was actually toxic with alcohol. And she had to be intubated and put a breathing tube into her lungs to keep her alive. I had the delight to ring up her mother. Hello, this is Brett Ryan from Monash Medical Centre. Oh no, my daughter's been involved in an accident. Is she okay? I said, well, she's okay now. But you know how she went to that party tonight? She said, yes, 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 yes. Well, she's had too much to drink. She's never had alcohol before. I even checked with the mother that there was going to be no alcohol at that party. Well, someone didn't get the memo. You see, at that situation, this young 13-year-old girl wants to fit into the crowd, 
peer pressure, popular culture has one drink, prefrontal cortex, not working quite right, leads to another, to another, and then what happened? She was all right, she actually was okay, but this is a 13-year-old girl. You think that's reasonable that they don't think through the consequences? There was a 21-year-old girl three years ago in a Sydney nightclub. She went to the nightclub with her best friend. Her friend said, hey, why don't you take an ecstasy tablet? She goes, I don't do drugs. She goes, come on, you don't know what you're missing. You know, just have it this once. She took the tablet, popped it in her mouth. Within 10 minutes, she had an anaphylactic reaction and she died there on the dance floor. Her friend has now been charged with accessory. That one choice led to tragic circumstances. That's the reason why we need to help our young people to have a narrative, to know what their boundaries are, why they think. And the why is so important, not just because I said so, but explaining the why, the dangers. Have you thought about? Have you considered? A young lady who's intoxicated is going to be more compromised and more compromised means more vulnerable to, to be sexually exploited. And many a young girl will have regretted those decisions that during a moment of uh, impulsive, intoxicated way that something happened, one thing led to another and that led to this. They haven't considered their options because they're a here and now generation. You need to help them with a narrative. And as Kate was sharing, you know, what would you do if this happened to you? And it's better to do it in the light of day with circumstances to say, what would you do if this happened? What would you do if someone who was in the front seat of the car who looked intoxicated said, hop in the car? What would you say? What would you do if someone offers you a beer? And our son has been in a high-level sport, and sport, particularly in you know, very highly contact sports like football, and he was also in the Australian team for lacrosse, you know, you celebrate with alcohol and you commiserate with alcohol and you have alcohol everywhere in between. But he'd go to functions, he's actually made the choice not to drink. But he never looked down at people who did drink. And so anyone would offer him a drink, hey, you want a beer? And he'd say, actually, I don't drink. And they go look at him and go, what? And they often would say, oh, good on you, mate. I wish I could do that. Being able to stand up for their values, stand up for their belief systems, stand up that is countercultural is so very important. And you need to help your young people have that internal filter, not just because mum said so or dad said so. It's because this is my decision. And a lot of people admire people who stand up for their value systems. One of the things we say is millions of people's lives have been destroyed from having alcohol in a myriad of ways but no one's life has been destroyed from not having it. So we have discussed that with our boys. You know, there's all different ways the alcohol can have destroyed someone's life. It's not just, you know, like liver damage or something like that. We're talking about pregnancies. We're talking about domestic violence. We're talking about falling off balconies, car crashes. It's everything. But those things are, are far limited if you are not under the influence of alcohol. Alcohol can make you do foolish things when you are a young person or an older person who doesn't have control of it. Um, our eldest two never tried alcohol. They decided, and that was insight. And our third one said, I want to try it. <laughs> so he went to a youth 18th. Fortunately, his brother was going with him. So they went together and he went off to this party and I get a phone call. And it's from my youngest. And he says, Mum, I just want you to know that I've tried alcohol. And I went, oh, okay, 
hold on. And he said, you know how I'm at such and such party? I said, it's a church kid. And he goes, yeah, loose term, he said. And I go, okay, hold on, hold on. Trying to get the wisdom, you know, into my head. Okay, darling, if you have a drink, you get it yourself. It's unopened. If you put it down, don't drink from it again. Um, So on and so on. on. He said, absolutely, mum. He said, I'm just having sips of different things to see what they taste like. Anyway. I just love how he actually said, Mum, I'm just letting you know I'm going to try alcohol. Okay, bye, 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 Kathy. And <laughs> yeah. ask Kate, don't make wise choices. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the point was, he came home and he said, Mum, don't want a drink. He goes, it's disgusting. He said, except for that wine cooler thing that the chicks drink. <laughs> and I said, because it's full of sugar. And he goes, yeah, that one. And I said, yeah, yeah. And he goes, and I watched those young people, Mum, And it was scary. He said they were so out of control. None of them knew what they were doing. They were drunk off their faces and so were the parents. And he said it was horrifying. And he said, so that's it for me? Done. I said, great outcome. (laughs) Great outcome. But it's not our decision. It's his his, decision. He's more likely to follow it through. Yeah. And that's the type of thing because alcohol really is the gatekeeper for other drugs. Thanks for listening. I hope the information you've heard has been helpful. I invite you to listen next time for part three of this talk where we discuss talking to your kids about sexuality, teaching life skills, and becoming job ready. To find helpful articles on parenting teenagers, faith formation, and more, go to our website at families.org.au. I'm Brett Ryan, and you're listening to Focus on the Family, Australia. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.